Good morning. Welcome to Laurel Heights, where we promise preaching and teaching from the text of Scripture. And the beginning place for this morning will be found in your Bible in the book of Mark in the New Testament, chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. And while you're finding that place in your Bible, I'll make an announcement about the sermon for next Sunday morning, March the 31st. The topic will be seven things you need to know before talking to an atheist. We'll open the Bible next Sunday morning like we always do. We will be informed and equipped to have good conversations with our atheist friends. We will do that based on what we're taught by God in His Word. Next Sunday morning, seven things you need to know before talking to an atheist. Mark 1, 14 and 15. Mark describes the beginning of Jesus' work with this statement. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying... The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. You've noticed all through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then further into the book of Acts, and then into the epistles, there are many references to the kingdom all the way into the book of Revelation, Robert read to us earlier. References to the kingdom. Here's a simple question, what is that? In our minds, when we see the word kingdom, what thoughts and images come up? It may be you think of an ancient form of government, something you remember reading about maybe in world history. In a more primitive and dramatic sense, you may have immediate images when you see the word kingdom of castles and knights and royalty and conquest. Those thoughts and impressions are very common. But in Bible reading and Bible study, and today in this part of our worship, we need specific clarity, clarity that is given on the pages of Scripture. We cannot take common images of a kingdom and just impose that into Scripture. We need to let Scripture tell us what these kingdom passages are all about. And then what we need to do about all that. I've decided in this sermon I'm not going to read a definition from a dictionary or a lexicon. I'm going to approach this from the standpoint of four questions answered in Scripture. And I promise that if we will faithfully use Scripture and believe the Word of God in answer to these questions, we will know what the kingdom of God is, and we will discover personal interest and motivation to be a part of that kingdom to be faithful citizens 
in that kingdom. And so we start here at a very logical and simple place. Who is the king? Now, I'm going to read the passages, but by merely raising the question, many of you know what the answer will be. Because we're in the New Testament, we're talking about what Jesus preached as introduced by Mark in Mark chapter 1. And so the answer is obvious already. The kingdom that we are talking about this morning, that kingdom is the people who live under the authority of Jesus Christ. Now we could go to a lexicon and we could find a definition. We could take the English word and look back at the Greek word and go back further in that and do all of that word study. But I think you know already just based on what I've said already and what the New Testament declares that the kingdom we're talking about today is the people who live under the authority of Jesus Christ. He is the king. Now, don't take my word for it. Demand scripture. In Matthew 28 and verse 18... There is part of Jesus' final charge to his men. This is Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. If Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth... From that truth we derive, he is the king. Over the kingdom of God, that is composed of the people who live under his authority. Add to that, his words in John eighteen thirty seven, where it is recorded that he said to Pilate, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born... And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. When the kingdom of God is defined from the top, Jesus is the king. He rules. He reigns. God gave him all authority. Now, at this point, people with good and honest hearts are immediately thinking this. Am I living under the authority of the King, Jesus Christ? That's always a good question. Am I living under the authority of Jesus Christ, who is the King? And that's not only a good question this morning, while we're in this place. It's a good question in your home, in the relationship between husband and wife, and parent and child. It's a good question in your office, in the factory, in the workplace, in the neighborhood, in all the associations and relationships and events and the activities of your life. Not just here at this place, but out there in whatever you think and believe and say and do. The question is, 
Am I living under the authority of the King, Jesus Christ? Did I make a start living under that authority when I was baptized? And have I continued? That's always a good question. Every day it is a good question. Because if you are not living under the authority of the king, you cannot claim the benefits of kingdom citizenship. If you're not living under the authority of the king every day, from the inside out, you cannot claim the benefits of kingdom citizenship. When we are considering the kingdom of God here on earth, it isn't just a document with our name on it, a directory with our information, a record of a baptism, or a memory of some initial repentance. Citizenship in the kingdom of God is always about the king. <clears throat> living under the rule of the King, Jesus Christ. This is the very important starting place. <clears throat> this is the concept that gets us started understanding what the kingdom is. For each person in this audience to take to heart and to life this inquiry, am I living under the King? Is Jesus enthroned over my life as king? That's question number one. It is answered clearly in Scripture. Number two, we've already started answering this. Who are the citizens in this kingdom? I'm going to make a statement about this, but I want you to read the confirmation of it I want you to be turning to John chapter 3 to see the confirmation of this. Who are the citizens in this kingdom? That's the second part of our study. And part of the answer is those who have been born into the kingdom, but we're not talking about physical birth. John 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. I am so thankful that Nicodemus was inquisitive and curious and had the courage to ask. And I'm so thankful that Jesus answered so clearly. And I'm so thankful that John recorded the answer. Because this is about how I can become a citizen of the kingdom. Jesus said, you must be born again. In fact, he said it this way, 
unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, what does it mean to be born of water and the Spirit? You're going to hear me say something you've heard me say before. Just keep reading. The rest of the book of John, then read into the book of Acts, on into the epistles, and you will discover believers who repented of their sin were baptized upon their confession of faith in Christ. Particularly in the book of Acts, you'll discover example after example of how to be born into the kingdom, what it means to be born of water in the Spirit. I say again, believers who repented of their sins were baptized upon their confession of faith in Jesus Christ. This is the new birth. And it puts the one responding into the kingdom. Please, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. The Apostle Paul is the writer. He is addressing Christians in Colossae. He's addressing people who had been born into the kingdom and were now living under the authority of the king. Referring to their citizenship, Paul said what God did when people obeyed the gospel. Listen again. Paul said what God did when these people obeyed the gospel. Colossians 1.13 He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. You want to transfer out of sin into the kingdom based on the death of Jesus Christ? I say to you again, believers who repented were baptized upon their confession of faith in Jesus Christ and when they were baptized, here's what God did. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. And I'm going to say, based on this and other New Testament teaching, kingdom reign is now in session. After Jesus ascended to His throne... As people obeyed the gospel, according to Acts chapter 2, they entered the kingdom. The people in Colossae, Paul wrote to, had been transferred into the kingdom when they were baptized based on the death of Christ for the remission of their sins. Kingdom reign has been in session ever since the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Kingdom reign is in session now. Christians are the citizens in the kingdom. This brings me back to that challenging question. Is Jesus enthroned in your life? Are you a citizen of the kingdom? Now, what do you think of when you think of kingdom citizenship? When I started a while ago, I said, what do you think of when you think of kingdom? 
And I mentioned those common images that come up when you think of kingdom. And then we went to the Bible to get clarity from God's word about who the king is, Jesus Christ, who the citizens are, people who've obeyed the gospel. Now, what else have we not covered yet that pertains to citizenship? Obligations. Obligations. Citizenship implies obligation. I'll just stand right there. Citizenship implies obligation. To become a citizen of the United States, there are entry requirements. Then there is the expectation of compliance with the laws of the country. Citizenship involves obligations. Do I need to remind you? Do I need to remind you that filing your taxes here in just a few weeks, <clears throat> that's an obligation of citizenship. When you leave the parking lot today and you go to the restaurant or to your house, you're obligated to abide by the traffic laws. Everybody understands citizenship implies obligation. We are subject to the laws that are written for our application as residents, as citizens, federal, state, local. Back when I was in school, there were civics classes. And respect for the laws of the land was a primary theme. Citizenship comes with obligation. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it is so in the kingdom of God. Under the authority of Christ, we discover obligations we ought to be happy to comply with. I want you to meet me over in James chapter 2. James is writing to Christians who were suffering. They were being persecuted and living in a trial of fire. They were living in hostile circumstances. In James 2 and verse 8, James said, If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. Now, how is that described? Royal law. If I want to be a good citizen in the kingdom of God in submission to the king... If I want to do well in my citizenship in the kingdom, <clears throat> the royal law of love will be in my heart, governing my attitude, on my lips, and apparent in my treatment of people. Citizenship comes with obligation. While in James 2, look with me at verse 12. So speak <coughs> and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Citizenship comes with obligation. Someone might inquire, <clears throat> where can I find the laws I'm obligated to abide by once I'm born into the kingdom? They're in this book. Obviously, the New Testament of Jesus Christ contains the obligations 
the conditions, the promises, everything I need to know to enter the kingdom and be a faithful citizen in the kingdom. <clears throat> in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, there is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> the Sermon on the Mount. That's a discourse that explains what is expected of kingdom citizens. And you can read that section in about 15 minutes. And as you read, you can make specific determinations about your attitude and your conduct as a citizen in the kingdom. And you may discover that there are changes that are necessary for you to be a better citizen in the kingdom. I have one more. What is the destiny? Be turning with me now, please, to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Do you know what was on Peter's mind as he wrote this letter? He tells us exactly what was on his mind when he wrote the letter in verse 14. I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. What kind of letter would you write if you knew you were soon to die? Who would that letter be addressed to? What would the contents be? What kind of emotion would fill you as you wrote those words? What would that last letter say? You were given pen and paper and you know that you've just got days left and you're going to write to your loved ones and to the brethren. What would that letter say? The Apostle Peter is aware that he will soon die. And so verse 15, I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. I'm going to read now 2 Peter 1, 3 through 11. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours, and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, 
there will be richly supplied for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The kingdom here on earth becomes the eternal kingdom in heaven to be entered by those who have added to their faith. This is our destiny if we are faithful citizens of the kingdom. It brings me to this question. Do you want to go to heaven? If you do, that desire is to be commended. But the Bible says it takes more than desire. The desire must lead to hearing the gospel. To faith, repentance, and baptism. Baptism into the kingdom. As a citizen of the kingdom on earth, you have obligations, but you also have destiny in the highest sense that word can be used. The gospel says you can go to heaven if you want to. You can go to heaven if you want to. You can trust and obey Jesus Christ to have your sins forgiven. You can be born of water and the Spirit being baptized into the kingdom. You can learn and grow and develop character that is based on the teaching and the example of Christ. And the end result can be spending eternity with God in the most perfect place there is to live. Heaven. What do you need to do? about what we've studied concerning the kingdom and kingdom citizenship. We invite your good response now as we stand together to sing. Down at the cross where my Savior died Down where for cleansing from 